Now time for the BCHL Podcast. All the way in front, backhand, scores! Turn on the red light, the Capitals win it. Donaldson shoots, scores! Sean Donaldson shorthanded. Now one of a breakaway, in alone is Libel. Club save is Colby Hedquist. Nice move. Tanelli to the goal, to the backhand, scores! Cue it up. Tyson Dickett again, he scores! There's one for the highlight reel. Magnus all the way around, he scores! How do you do? Zach Michaelis, coast to coast! You go back to the goal! Oh, what a setup! Oh, me, oh my, put that a PCHL tonight! Hey there, welcome to the BCHL Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Adamson. Well, BCHL fans, we're finally there. The Fred Page Cup final is upon us. This episode comes out on Friday morning, which means we are only hours away from game one between the Penticton V's and the Alberni Valley Bulldogs. The V's won the interior conference after beating the Trail Smoke Eaters in round one, the Wenatchee Wild in the second round, and most recently defeating the Salmon Arm Silverbacks in five games of the interior conference final. On the other side, the Alberni Valley Bulldogs swept the Victoria Grizzlies in round one, beat the Surrey Eagles in seven games in the second round, and are coming off another four-game sweep, this time against the Chilliwack Chiefs. On this week's episode, we're trying something a little different. Usually we talk to players and coaches and alumni, um, but to tee up the final series properly, we have a couple special guests. But before I get to that guest list, I want to remind you that the BCHL podcast is presented by Finning. For more information about Finning and their products, visit Finning.com. That's F-I-N-N-I-N-G.com. All right, on this week's episode, we speak with the play-by-play broadcasters from both teams. You'd be hard-pressed to find uh, anyone else who is more of an expert on their respective teams. Um, So, uh, first up, we speak with Alberni Valley Bulldogs play-by-play man, Evan Hammond. And we also chat with Penticton V's broadcaster, Fraser Rogers. First up is our conversation with Hammond. Hammond has been the voice of the Bulldogs since all the way back in the 2003-04 season. So he's obviously seen uh, the ups and downs for a franchise that is about to make its first appearance in the Fred Page Cup Finals. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we wanted to get his thoughts on this year's roster, uh, some additions they made midseason that have paid huge dividends for them, uh, and get uh, his thoughts on the opponent, the Penticton Vs. So uh, let's get to it. Here is our chat teeing up the final series with Alberni Valley Bulldogs broadcaster Evan Hammond. All right, Evan. Well, thanks so much for joining me. The Bulldogs are in the final uh, for the first time in franchise history after sweeping two series in the Coastal Conference and winning one in seven. Uh, Before we get into the specifics, just as you, someone who's been covering the team for so long and obviously been watching closely this whole postseason, uh, what's it been like? Uh, What's the atmosphere in town? What's uh, what are your impressions on the team so far this postseason? Holy cow. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. Second off, uh, it's hard to describe what the atmosphere is like in town. Uh, perhaps the easiest way uh, would be to say that they put their tickets on sale for games on the 16th and 17th of May on the 6th of May at 10 a.m. And by 1230 that day, they were sold out already. Uh, 
They officially, on Monday the 8th, later in the afternoon, said, yep, no room in the inn. This is it. We're full. Uh, and I think that right there, it's a 1,500-seat rank with a legal capacity of 1,854. And uh, for games that were a week away already at the, the time of the announcement, uh, they were sold right out. So there is room on the bandwagon. There is not room in the rink. Um, <laughs> it's a, a crazy fun ride. And just hearing you say the way, I mean, sweeps bookending a, a seven game series that they won, but never led is, is crazy to hear it said out loud that way. Uh, you kind of forget a series when the next one begins. And then you, you look back on, on the last one, when you start the next one. And I hadn't even really thought about that, that it's been sweep seven and sweep. That's, that's wild. Yeah, that that is. I, I want to follow up on that. So the Bulldogs come into the finals kind of well rested, but also battle tested. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they, those two series went the minimum, and then um, lots of times when when you have something like that and a team enters the final, you can point to oh, this team hasn't been tested, they haven't faced adversity. But that's not true because the other series they they went seven and and got pushed right to the edge. So uh, what do you think that's going to do for the team? having had that experience of, of facing a game seven and being down in a series, but also um, kind of being well-rested as well. Uh, I think th- that's got to be good. One has to think. Uh, I-, I do think into game four against Chilliwack, they were feeling the amount of miles that had been on the odometer playing seven against Surrey and then getting right back into it. Uh, by the time game four came, I-, I think they were maybe as a group, uh, just a little bit low in their overall energy level. Uh, I want to back it all the way up to November and December. Uh, speaking of adversity and, and battle tested, uh, this team was at the absolute lowest of the lows uh, at the end of November and early December. Uh, they lost five straight home games. Uh, they had no idea what their identity was. Uh, they had high expectations that I think were weighing on them. I look back to that point now. One of those games in that stretch was Penticton as well. Uh, but I look back to that kind of now, and I have a few times throughout the playoffs and a few times just throughout the the stretch run and the end of the regular season that I think that really helped this team. Uh, the old, all the cliches and ways you can describe adversity. It kills you or it makes you stronger. You're better for going through it. Uh, boy, at the time, it sure didn't feel like it. Uh, the fact that they were able to get through that, uh, to not turn on each other, to eat their own, so to speak, to really get it turned around. I think the way that they finished the rest of the season uh, was really, you know, that was the catalyst is that they really had to take a long look in the mirror and uh, strip it down and, and step back and kind of start over after Christmas. So at the same point, I think that that did help them uh, into advancing to the Fred page cup final series that they face some playoff adversity. Uh, I'm a big believer in not comparing one year to the next in junior hockey uh, season after season. There's just so much turnover. Sometimes you're losing half your team or more, but having said all that, the Bulldogs last year swept the couch of Valley capitals in the first round of the playoffs in four games. I think that hurt them in the second round against the Langley Rivermen. They dropped the next two games of the next series on home ice. They headed on the road. 
down 0-2. They didn't quit or pack it in or anything, but lost a triple overtime game in there, won the other one, but they were just behind from the get-go. They swept Victoria, and I thought, here we are again this year as they lost back-to-back games in Surrey in the second round. I think the difference was they lost those games on the road as opposed to heading on the road down 0-2. They came home down 0-2. And there's still a lot of adversity and questions that uh, they were facing Uh, a couple of games in Surrey where I think they don't know how they lost, but they did Uh, a couple of very tight victories, one goal and an overtime win tied in the series at two go back to Surrey drop another one where I think they outshot the Eagles 20 to four in the third period and couldn't tie it and had the same question again, leaving that rank. And all the games have been so darn tight. There'd been one empty net goal. Other than that, it was all one goal games. And then in game six, they get back in their rank and they absolutely blow them out of the water and it's 7-1. If there's a better way to go into game seven than that, I'm not sure what it could be. Uh, I think that really propelled them into that. Uh, someone had to finally win on the road uh, game seven series. Uh, fun fact for you that the Bulldogs, the most recent team that won a series they never led, the previous team that had done that, the 2019 Surrey Eagles, who won in game seven against Chilliwack in a series they never led. So it was just kind of weird to have the Eagles involved in, in both of those. And we'll end of the series against Chilliwack. Um, expect the unexpected. I've probably said that in many interviews, not sure ever with you, but who would have thought 9-5 in game one? I mean, that was just a wild and crazy. <laughs> uh, they kind of had control from the get-go, uh, went to Chilliwack, uh, Total different series. It's been, uh, yeah, kind of two different stories at once, uh, but they keep ending up on the wrong side of it. So it's been fun. So you mentioned uh, the struggles that the team was facing earlier in the year um, and kind of the timing of when they got out of it was around the time when they added a couple of new, uh, key pieces. Uh, I want to ask you about both of them. First one, uh, Dakota McIntosh, who came over from the USHL in November and has uh, had a major impact. He currently leads the team in playoff scoring. What has his addition done to this team? it's done a lot. He's just such a a dynamic player. Uh, And I mean, I I don't like using all the buzzwords, but he's a big bodied guy that can absolutely fly. That has uh, immaculate hands uh, around the net and at full speed. Uh, A player that uh, when he was added, it was kind of interesting. I want to mix David Sacco into that too. And then Owen Desley, because there was kind of a, a false positive with the team turning the corner there uh, where they added McIntosh, they added Sacco, they went on an interior conference road trip. Uh, they had been an underachieving team to that point. Uh, and Sacco and, and McIntosh, I mean, Dakota McIntosh in the second game at a hat trick. Uh, I mean, there's no uh, easier way to say how immediate of an impact a guy can make. David Sacco had two points in his first game. Uh, they went and they won in Salmon Arm. And one in West Kelowna. And I think the belief, myself included, was, boy, those are two pretty good teams in two hard places to play. And they handled them quite easily. And maybe they finally turned the corner. And I think they spent a week getting a little bit too high up on that one. And uh, then came the, after success on the road, then came the five losses on home ice. And uh, I think that was a, another little reset they needed after adding those guys to say, okay, hold wait a sec. Um, we're not there yet kind of deal, but uh, specifically on Dakota McIntosh. Yeah. He's been a fantastic player. One of those uh, makes your line mates better kind of 
guy. Uh, I think uh, Will Alger and, and Nicholas Benito, they played predominantly with each other. They are fantastic players in their own right. Uh, but the, some of the parts, uh, when it adds up, they're just a dangerous line. The, how do they play? What do they do? Uh, I likened the uh, Brad Marchand comment I'd heard uh, that um, we don't even kind of know what we're doing. We're just freewheeling and we're just reading off each other and playing. We don't have a set strategy or an idea. I mean, that's so hard to defend. If they don't know what they're doing, how are you going to know what they're doing to, to try to stop it? Uh, some So offensive creativity that Joe Martin's always kind of said, he wants to just let them do their thing, so to speak. Uh, you don't want to stifle creativity in the name of structure with some players at some points. And they're the perfect example of that. Sure, you need to be responsible and, and you need to not be a liability. Uh, but at the same point, I think the staff has encouraged them a little bit to perhaps do some things uh, that weren't exactly uh, what the, the team's ammo was or mindset. And uh, well, it's, it's, it's obviously paid huge dividends. Other one I want to ask you about is uh, kind of a new addition, but kind of not. It's a familiar face, and that's Brandon Bure. Obviously, uh, he played the last couple seasons with the Bulldogs, went to college to start this year, and ended up coming back to Alberni to finish his junior career in December. Uh, what has his addition meant? It's been huge. I mean, I had said when he was added, if uh, you, in advance of the trade deadline as an organization in advance of Christmas, can add a player that has over 70 points in this league to your roster. It is a, a major coup uh, to add that player without giving anything up uh, is uh, exponentially greater. Uh, a guy that can have pure offensive scoring abilities. He's a shooter, but he can also score kind of the, the in tight battle goals. He's had an increased uh, physical element to his game uh, has a, a great set of hands uh, and is experienced to the point where that's you're also adding not just a guy that has 70 plus points in this league, but a guy that uh, was familiar with the organization with the town, was familiar with getting into the second round of the playoffs, being down the stretch run, uh, all those things uh, added up. And, and he's been a, a responsible guy and also a, an offensive guy. And uh, to be so lucky to see him come back to, to join the team again, uh, to, I mean, you had a top six forward, uh, top three forward. You could argue he's that. Uh, you're laughing. I mean, for lack of a better word, and uh, he's been everything that they had hoped for sure. So the thing about the playoffs, obviously, it's the the most exciting time of the year, but it's also a time where many teams face adversity when it comes to injuries with so many games and the intensity of the games. It's kind of inevitable. And the Bulldogs um, were not immune to that. Unfortunately, they uh, lost their workhorse starting goalie Hobie Hedquist to an injury during the second round. Uh, But that created an opportunity for Campbell Arnold to come in. And um, he's done a fantastic job since uh, taking over as a starter during that series uh, recently named the first star of the week. Uh, how impressed have you been with his performance since taking over in the crease? I've been really, really impressed with him. He's been fantastic. Uh, I've been more enjoying just watching the story play out. If that doesn't sound too cheesy. I mean, you hear the stories so often about players uh, that uh, have worked hard for the opportunity and or they're the first guy on the ice and the last guy off the ice and they're being the good teammate and they're working hard for this opportunity that they might not know will ever appear and afford itself to them. And he was that guy. Uh, 
when he came in and he won a game, we had Joe Martin on our post game show on our broadcast. And, and I just asked about him and uh, the team had a coaches award uh, that they gave away at their banquet and, and Campbell Arnold won it. And you think coaches award, well, it's picked by the coach. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We had our players vote for who they thought was most deserving. And the rest of the roster had voted him unanimously. Uh, worked his rear end off. Didn't know if he was ever going to play. Did not play often. 20-year-old guy. End of your career. That's got to be so tough to have the right attitude through. And he is the reason why for any other kid, athlete, any sport, you just never know. You keep yourself sharp. Uh, you do all the right things. You be a good teammate. Uh, you, you work your tail off. And all of a sudden, it's the second round of the playoffs. The team is down in a series and you're in the net. Uh, he won that game. Uh, he's been fantastic. There was a blip game, one against Chilliwack, five goals against. It'll fault him on any. Other than that, besides, I think, game four against Chilliwack, a goal against, a goal against, a goal against in game seven, a goal against in game six, uh, three in Surrey in game uh, six, uh, five, sorry. Uh, he's given them absolutely everything they needed. He's a battler. He's unorthodox at times. It's not pretty. Uh, but uh, goaltending uh, the game in period is never a beauty contest. And uh, it's just a, an outstanding story. One of those reasons we're involved in the game at this level, I think, uh, is to is to see individuals, uh, players succeed and, and those human interest kind of things. And it's been unbelievable the way the community has gotten behind him. And he's become a, a backup to a fan favorite very quickly. So we've talked a lot about the top scorers and, and Campbell and net, uh, but who's a player down the lineup, uh, either a forward or a defenseman that you think could have a big impact in the finals? Oh boy, put me on the spot with that one. Uh, <laughs> he asked me after and I'd say, oh, I thought that would happen. Uh, <laughs> I think a guy like Owen Desolet, who I kind of touched on, he was one of those additions uh, to the roster where they kind of changed the room a bit, changed the culture. He's been a player that has really, really, really impressed me. Uh, committed to Dartmouth. Uh, I think if it's an underappreciated skill at any level of hockey, but obviously at this level, if you have a defenseman that can have the ability, the vision, the elusiveness, the skating ability to carry the puck to center ice out of your zone nine times out of ten, that is just such a huge asset. Sure, half the job's done. You got to dump it in. You got to fight it in. You got to enter. You got to go get it. But when you're not hemmed in your zone because you have a player that can skate you all the way to center every single time, uh, that is huge. Uh, I, I think he could be a, a big player. He's uh, one of those offensive power play guys, too. Uh, up front, uh, the, the depth of the Bulldogs has impressed me. They lost Matt Kersonis in the last series. At the time, he was one of the rookie point getters in the postseason, was on a four-game playoff goal streak, uh, scored in game seven. Uh, that that one hurt. Uh, I'm not sure his status. Uh, other than that, there isn't a single guy. Uh, I feel bad not mentioning everybody, uh, just with uh, how this team has had contributions from all. Uh, how would I just really look forward to finding out who the unsung hero is in the coming days? 
Uh, so now the team faces their toughest test in the finals. We got the defending champion Penticton V's uh, on the docket who uh, they only lost four games during the regular season, only one so far in the playoffs. Uh, before we get into how you think the Bulldogs can can beat them from from what you've seen this year, I know you've only seen them probably in person twice in the two times that the Bulldogs and V's played. But what are you expecting from them um, from what you know of them and what you've seen this year? I'm expecting uh, the best team in the league, uh, the best team in the country, uh, a team that the Bulldogs need to respect but not fear, if that makes sense. Uh, I mean, how do you not respect them with uh, their pedigree and their record? Uh, Perhaps they can make a tongue-in-cheek joke that if 15 months ago Trail could beat them in their building, then anybody can. Uh, But it's, what, 41 games now for them at home? There's some history throughout the season with these two teams. The Bulldogs had the V's down by two goals after 40 minutes at the showcase. Do they take confidence from that when in the end they lost it 7-4 and gave up four goals uh, in the first 13 minutes of the third period? I don't know. I think there perhaps were some things said and some attitudes shown by the Bulldogs being up by a couple and they learned a really hard lesson. And they gained some further respect for the V's. They had them in their building when they were in the the doldrums in late November and really struggling as a team. And they got blitzed seven to one, where I mean after a scoreless first, uh, but they were just behind the entire night. So I think that one's a bit of a wash. I think they forget that. Uh, I think they try to take some confidence uh, from what they did at the showcase in a relatively large stage uh, against them. Uh, I think it will be interesting in their building uh, just to see if the Bulldogs can, you know, put some pressure on them early. The starts have been so critical, uh, just looking at the box scores and trying to catch up and watch some games uh, at home. They just were piling up early leads every time I checked the box score against uh, the Silverbacks. Uh, a team that good uh, with that record that hasn't lost in their building since game one of last year's postseason. Uh, you just need to win the battle of, I think, between the ears before you worry on the battle uh, on the ice, but also on the ice because <laughs> this starts just absolutely critical. Uh, they should have their respect. They need to find a way to compete with them uh, to suddenly take the play to them, immediately take the play to them uh, to let them know that uh, they're just as worthy of that respect, perhaps, I think could go a long way uh, to, to really test them and push them. Uh, early would I think be a, a huge key and I expect them to be nothing but what they have been advertised and have proven to, to be to the league for the last couple of years now you touched on it a little bit in your answer there but uh, when you look at the series with the Bulldogs as the underdog coming in what needs to happen for them to um, pu- push them push the V's and, and potentially pull off an upset in the series uh, I think uh, physical play is an important factor um that was really noticeable, not so much in, in the two game, the, the two series sweeps the Bulldogs had, uh, but it was really noticeable in that Surrey Eagles series. Uh, I'm not sure in all my years of doing this, I have seen a series where I thought the early games had such an impact on the late games through that war of attrition, that physical play, that wear the opposition down. Uh, I think the Bulldogs lost the first two games of this series, but won the last two because what they did in the first, if that makes any sense, do that against Penticton, but find a way to do that to tiptoe that very fine line of being a physical team, of being uh, wearing them down and taking a chunk out of them every play, every game. 
kind of team. Uh, but one little look at the standings and the special teams uh, says if you do that and you don't do that within the rule books, you do so at your own peril. I mean, they're what, just under 37% in the postseason on the playoffs. Try to beat them five on five. Try to stay out of the penalty box. Try to earn your own opportunities. And boy, you better make the most out of them because as we've seen this time of year, opportunities sometimes can be fleeting and few and far between. All right, Evan. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Really appreciate it. It was uh, a great way to set up this series and uh, looking forward to seeing you at the rink. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks so much to Evan Hammond for joining the podcast. All right. We got the Alberni Valley perspective. Now it's time to get the Penticton V's perspective. And that's where play-by-play man Fraser Rogers comes in. We spoke with Fraser uh, about the V's uh, incredibly successful season. They come in as the top seed in all of the BCHL, only lost four games all regular season and, and one in the playoffs. And uh, they boast a couple of the top players in the BCHL this year, Josh Nadeau and his younger brother Bradley, who won the league's most valuable player trophy as well uh, as the leading scorer when he finished with 113 points, which is the most uh, the BCHL has seen in a single season since 2015-16. So we talked to Fraser about, of course, the Nadeau brothers, um, got into other things on the roster like the goaltending and how it's uh, stepped up in the playoffs, uh, their defense core that returned five players from last year's championship team. Um, And of course, we got his scouting report on the Bulldogs. So Let's hear it. This is our chat with Penticton V's play-by-play broadcaster, Fraser Rogers. All right, Fraser. Well, uh, the V's are back in the finals for the second year in a row. Uh, The team has returned a massive amount of players from last year's championship team, which is pretty rare in junior hockey, especially when you get uh, a team that was as successful as the V's were last year to return as many players as they have this year is uh, quite rare. Uh, They only lost four games in the regular season, one in the playoffs. Um, As someone who has been around the team day in and day out uh, this season, what can you say about this group of players? Yeah, the, the biggest thing I think is getting back to a league final. That's really hard to do. I know there's been lots made about, you know, what the Tampa Bay Lightning did in the NHL when they won, you know, two in a row and they had, what, three straight Stanley Cup final appearances and losing to Colorado. It's hard to get there. And in junior hockey, your roster is turned over more than in, in the NHL, right? So I know it may sound as a stretch to say this, but. Is it harder to repeat in junior hockey than it is in the NHL? Uh, that's a great question. I think I've been asked, and I kind of ask it to people as as a, as a soundboard. It's fascinating to talk about because you talk about it, you rarely do get 13 players back from a championship team in, in junior hockey. Typically, that roster gets turned over to college or graduating to pro, right? And you have such a younger team come in to fill those holes. But it was such a perfect storm for Penticton, maybe – Due to the kind of the pandemic hangover of those uh, previous seasons, having players coming back because maybe there's some backlog in college with the transfer portal, whatever have you. So guys decide to come back and play. And I think there's a few guys that maybe could have gone 
to school, but then things changed and they wanted to come back. And you guys just had a great article about it on your website, the Nadeau brothers. I think a lot of people thought maybe they're main bound after last season and what they did, but things changed and they came back for a second year and really motivated, you know, to help this team. And I think the biggest thing you just talk about this question about, you know, what impresses you the most day in and day out. I think it's just that consistency. It's, it's so hard to be good for this long and, there's got to be moments in a season where you have peaks and valleys in junior hockey, especially when you're dealing with teenagers and the ups and downs of, of teenagers trying to play a full season. There's that emotional element, right? And for whatever reason, this team has been so consistent. I think it speaks to the maturity of the group. You talk about all the returnees, 13 of them, the leadership group, you know, led by uh, Frank Jurasevich, the captain and, and the, his alternate captains. They've been fantastic as well uh, this year. Uh, just, you know, having that team dialed in game in and game out, even if it's a game in September or a game in February or a game here in May, they've been fantastic. And uh, it's impressive what they've done. So with a season like this, there's obviously going to be comparisons to teams in the past. And maybe it's not fair to make these comparisons yet because uh, obviously the job isn't done. Uh, but one one team that does come up is that 2011-12 uh, V's team that won 42 mm-hmm. straight games, uh, won the Fred Page, won the Nationals. You were uh, the play-by-play broadcaster for that team as well. How did, <laughs> how did the... Yeah. yeah, that's not a shot, Fraser. Uh, <laughs> how did the two teams compare uh, in your in your opinion? Well, I feel old now, Jesse, uh, <laughs> bringing that I think, up. I think we're know? the same age, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I've aged gracefully, uh, graciously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's another question I think we get around here a lot is uh, people asking Fred or maybe asking me, you know, compare, contrast the two teams. And it's, it's a great debate. That's, a, you know, that water cooler question, which team is better? And it's healthy, friendly debate. Um, and it's interesting to look at it. If you look just at the stats, this year's team is better. Isn't it crazy to say that? When you're looking at the stats, this current roster has had better goals against. It's had a better uh, goals uh, against average. I know they scored more goals in 2012 in that BCHL season, granted a few more games, but this is a better defensive team than it was in 2012. And and that team had Mike Gartig. There's an award named after him <laughs> now. And like that's how good the goal team was, but it's even better this year. And that's no slight to Mike or that group. It's just, it's, it's wild to think about how good this team actually is away from the puck. And I think, that's one of the biggest misconceptions about Fred Harbinson coach teams is, oh, it's all offense. They only play offense. They like to play, you know, up tempo. No, this team plays a 200 foot game. And that's why this team's been successful going back to last year's playoffs when they won is because they didn't allow much. A goals against was minuscule last year during the regular season and in the playoffs. They had the best goaltending tandem last year. They get it again this year. They set a new goals against average record, a modern record for, you know, goals against average in a season uh, this past year as well. And, and Luca DePasco was one goal away in the last seconds, of the final regular season game against Sam Armour, setting a new goals against average record, beating Mike Hart takes Mark. So, uh, this team, you compare and contrast, it's better defensively on paper. I think four lines, and Fred said this in other interviews, I'm sure he said it with you this year as well, four lines, this team's probably deeper. This 2023 team compared to 2012, that 2012 team was loaded on three lines. This team is is stacked on four lines. I know we always talk about the Nadeau brothers and then that second line with Suniev, uh, DeGraves, and, and Moravik, but there's... The third, the third and fourth line, quote unquote, they call them around here. These are guys that are veterans, they're playoff performers, they're heavy players, and they're two hundred foot players. And you don't win the playoffs with those types of players. And 
without those types of players. And uh, you, you need those guys. And uh, this squad has it and they have it in spades. And I think it's a big X factor to their playoff success and their success overall. So you're looking at the two rosters. I, I, you know, the goaltending is pretty much a wash, you know, DePasco and Garteg were great. The back end is pretty balanced. I think there's a little bit more dynamic back end in 2012 when you just have to throw out, you know, Troy Stetcher, and Mike Riley, got to give them credit, but you can't sleep on guys like Frank Jurcevic, what he's done this year and Ryan Hopkins when he's been healthy, but up front, I think that's the X factor. I think up front, there's a little bit more depth, this year than the 2012 team. And I think we just see it in the numbers, the balance scoring in the regular season. You see a lot of different playoff contributors as well here in this postseason. So it is a great debate nonetheless. So a couple of players that have come up a few times uh, already in our chat here are uh, the, Nadeau, the Nadeau brothers, Josh and Bradley. Um, I know uh, a lot of times they get grouped together and, and talked about solely as a duo. And I, I do want to get into that and their chemistry. Uh, but uh, first, I want to talk about them individually. So let's start with Josh, because mm-hmm. he's the older of the two. Um, how would you describe him as a player and, and why do you think he's so effective in this league? You know, Josh, I have a little soft spot because I'm an undersized individual, right? I'm like I'm five foot eight on a good day. So uh, we talk about Josh Tado, like he's around my height, and you know, people always give uh, maybe not enough credit to undersized forwards in today's game. He gets a bit of a slight, but uh, his competitiveness is second to none. Um, both the brothers, but you talk about Josh specifically. He's got a bit of a nasty streak in him. He's not shy to go in the tough areas, like. You look at the power play, he plays that bumper role either right beside the net or in the slot. And that's an area where you can get punished. And he takes that abuse and he doesn't he does it without even flinching. And he, he produces a lot of power play points in tough areas on that power play. He's not a shooting position per se on the wing like a Bradley Nadeau or Sunia. So he has to pay the price. And in the corners, you know, he's a target. It's no secret that Number 20, number 82 in these colors have a target on their back against the other team and they go for pucks behind the net or in the corners along the wall and he dishes it out as much as he takes it and uh, that's a toughness that I think is overlooked sometimes is just abusing, getting that abuse, absorbing that abuse, so to speak, uh, in those trench battles and he's a, he's a tough customer that way and and his vision too. Um, I know this year he's a little bit more, it sounds crazy to say this, but he's a little bit more of a playmaker this year than he was last year where he was more of a pure shooter but this year i was really impressed just how well he distributes the puck not only to his brother bradley but to other line mates if it's dovar tinling or maybe jackson nunick we've seen on that line at certain times this year he has great vision and uh, you see it five on five you see it uh, on the power play as well and he finds he's so slippery like and we talk about he does take some abuse but he avoids a lot of punishment too at the same time he knows how to dodge hits and weave his way through traffic with the puck. There's those high traffic areas, you know, around the blue line. And uh, he finds a way to keep that puck on a string, avoid those, you know, high traffic spots, avoid being uh, rocked with that big hit, so to speak. But when he has to, he's not shy to throw his shoulder into somebody as well and mix it up in the corner or after the whistle, even when it comes that time in the playoffs, you see some of that uh, nasty stuff after the scrum. So for, for Josh, to me, his competitiveness and his toughness is a uh, two, I think traits that might get overlooked by the general fan. And then of course, Bradley, uh, he led the league in scoring this year as a 17 year old. He had 113 points, which is the most by any BCHL player since 2015, 16 top ranked current, uh, BCHL player heading into the NHL draft. Uh, what's he like to watch night in night out? I don't think I was going to see a player in my time have a better shot than Tyson Jost in the BCHL. And again, Tyson was an elite player in this league, and I was fortunate to be here when he was here. But 
I think I might have to give Bradley the slight edge to um, the best shot, the best release I've seen in, in Penticton in my time. And uh, maybe one of the best players, period, when it comes to that pro release. I know Idar Suniev is someone right there as well that has an unbelievable shot. But what Bradley can do by changing the angle of his shot, and that's something they talk about in today's hockey so much, is your release point and having to fool goaltenders by changing where you're releasing the puck. And he finds ways to pull the puck into his body at full speed off the rush and drag and shoot from his inside step, which is not you know easy to do. And usually you see that you know from a, some of the top NHL guys. That's a new trend, like because typically a shooter would shoot off you know their 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 weight bearing foot and they're leaning forward and then a traditional shooting setup where Bradley can make it unpredictable. Sometimes you think he's going to go to his backhand, all of a sudden it's a short side laser to the top corner because he's changing that direction of the shot. And it's not just the one timer on the power play from the left wing that's so deadly. It's wrist shots. It's the drag move. It's snapshots. And even a backhand, he's, he can change the way he attacks and then, and like his brother, his vision is pretty elite. And that really impresses me. And, and the ways he finds seams, you know, both brothers have that, you know, sixth sense where each other is on the ice, but Bradley, it's an underrated skill is, being the person to get open, you have to get open to take that pass. And he finds a way to get through traffic, find seams to get open and in traffic finds ways to get that shot off quickly. It's one thing to have a great shot. It's another thing to have a good shot and getting it off at a quick time before it gets blocked or, or a stick gets in there to break it up. And Bradley has a way to, he has such a good quick release that he can do it in traffic. He can do it off the rush. He can do it in a stationary position, like a power play setup. So that's why I think it makes him so dynamic as an offensive talent coming out of this league and a projected first-round pick. He has a very mature offensive approach to his game when it comes to looking for soft spots, looking for lanes and release points when he's shooting. And you can't overlook his defensive game. He's a, he's a very good 200-foot player. He makes some great plays in the back check as well. And a lot of the, the rush offense from him and his brother actually starts back in the Penticton zone when you watch tape. So he, he's, a, he's a treat to watch. And then just quickly, their their chemistry, why obviously you talked about why they're both such great players individually, but a lot of uh, what makes them so special is that chemistry uh, between each other. So uh, why do you think uh, they complement each other so well? It's DNA, isn't it? That's the simplest <laughs> answer. I know people talk about the Sedins in their height uh, of stardom with the Vancouver Canucks, the Sedinery, they always call it, right? The way they could have that puck in a string. And there's a version of that, I'd say, in Penticton. We call it the Nadeau show. We joked about it, became a thing. Uh, and it really is quite a show these two brothers can put on. And I think it is just that uh, maternal, or I should say that uh, sibling instinct uh, the two of them have. And I asked them about this. Like, do you guys speak... Uh, like in code to each other? Do you have like certain like winks or head gestures during face-off plays to know what's coming? And, you go, and they go, no, really, it's kind of just unwritten communication. It's a way they look at each other. Maybe it's a slight head nod uh, for a certain place they want to put the puck. But I think it's the chemistry comes down to just two brothers who've grown up playing with each other on their backyard rink at home and, and played through minor hockey on and off a little bit. But there is an age difference there of two years. They haven't played together a lot growing up at a competitive standpoint. So a lot of this chemistry comes from practicing in the summers or in the winters at home before they got into junior hockey. And uh, yeah, it's that Sedin type sixth sense that they have um, with one another. The one just has to look a certain way and the other takes off to a soft spot in the ice and the puck's on his stick. It, it's, it doesn't matter who it is. It's Josh to Bradley or Bradley to Josh. It, 
you can, you know, change the, the dynamic of the play, but the end result's always the same. It's, they're finding a way to get a scoring chance or, or score a goal. Those two uh, have been special players to watch. Their chemistry, I think, is uh, elite because they're brothers and all the time they spent with each other. And just one quick sidebar, they're so competitive with one another. That's the funniest thing. They, they get at each other in practice. They get at each other in anything. I think that makes them who they are is because no matter what, they're always looking to get better it's weight room it's on the ice in practice they're usually the first guys on last guys off the ice and you can't get them out of the weight room a one quick story last year they had a a team uh, rally a parade downtown uh, to uh, celebrate that championship that next morning i think it was like 7 30 8 a.m the two brothers were in the v's gym the next morning (laughs) trying to trying to get a workout in before they went home for the off season so there you go it just shows you what kind of players they are so shifting focus to the crease now, one player who has been great all year long, but he seems to have taken things up a notch in the playoffs is goaltender Luca DePasco. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he had a great year. He's a first-team first, first team all-star. Um, his numbers are among the, the best in the league during the regular season. So like, have you noticed a change in his game at all since the postseason, a, another level, or has it been this way all year, but he's maybe just finally getting the credit for it? That's a great question, Jesse, and I'm glad he's getting some spotlight. He deserves it. I think he and it's not a shot at anyone in the league. There's just so many good goalies in, in the BCHL in the regular season. It was probably hard to pick a top goaltender award because the goaltending class was so deep. You know, Eli Pulver in Surrey, Oliver Al Young Ashton in Victoria was phenomenal this year. Hobie Hedquist in, in Alberni Valley. And, but he, I'm glad he got that all-star recognition because he was so good and yeah, I think he has found another gear in the postseason. He's really impressed me. I think he can admit it too. Maybe the first couple games in round one against Trail was just an adjustment for him to get maybe the playoff jitters out of his system. And since game, what, three, I think, against Trail, he's been absolutely dialed in as one of the best goaltenders in this BCHL playoff run. And yeah, I think he has taken another step in his game. I, there's a, a maturity there that uh, really impresses me as a goaltender in the crease. He's very calm. He's not that kind of goalie who's going to be super flamboyant in the crease. That's making a theatrical save or diving around. He's very systematic and technical. He has a routine. He always has a between the whistles routine to center himself on the mental side of things. He's a fascinating goalie to talk to about all the, mental and physical preparation that goes into a start. And I thought he really stepped up in Wenatchee in games three and four, a team that was very desperate to get back in that series in round two. And he was absolutely lights out. I know he was one of the stars of the week after that uh, four game series sweep. And then against Sam and arm on the road in games three and four, when they went to overtime, I know that he split that, but uh, not an easy place to play. And again, on the road, when it matters the most in the playoffs for a goaltender in those hostile environments, he was uh, at his best. And he's one of the best puck playing goalies in the league. That's something that might get overlooked. He, he's in third defenseman at times for the V's when they needed to play the puck and create a breakout situation. And uh, he's a, a fun player to be around. He's great personality and uh, one of the better V's goaltenders in Fred's uh, tenure as the bench boss for sure. And then what about the decor? We talked about all the returning players and the mm. the most significant amount of returning guys comes uh, on defense. Five uh, defensemen from last year's championship team back. Um, how, how good is this team's group of defensemen? Yeah, deepest I've ever seen in the BCHL. Uh, just, you know, one through six, the guys that can uh, play at any time and play important minutes. And, you know, usually when you have your three pairings, you know, one pairing is going to take a heavy 
minutes load, uh, especially in the playoffs and especially in tight games, your one and two pair are going to eat a lot of minutes. And maybe that second, third pair, they split up the rest. But this team, they like to balance their three D pairs uh, quite evenly, especially when Ryan Hopkins is healthy. You know, Gibro Gilbo is a rookie 06 born defenseman, stepped in and did a nice job of taking the minutes uh, for Ryan Hopkins when he's had to. But, you know, this team has been deep on the blue line. I mentioned. You know, Frank Jurcevic as a 20 year old, just how mature he's been on the blue line. Guys like Owen Simpson, though, and Ben Burnett can't get overlooked, uh, especially Simpson. He's not the big points defenseman, but he's lifting a lot of heavy minutes on the blue line. Uh, shutdown role. He faces a lot of the top players on the other team. And those guys are so crucial to championship teams. The Owen Simpson of this year, the, that type of player, I equate to the Kyle Boyuz or the Zach Urbans uh, of the 2012 team. These guys that are kind of those men uh, amongst boys who have to uh, eat important minutes and play against uh, the opposition's top players, those tough minutes. So as a group, it's deep guys like Mason Pullman have a great breakout in the playoffs. He's been someone that uh, this team's raved about as a great two-way defenseman. Ben Brunette's one of the best open ice you know, hitters, I think, in the BCHL. He's a bit of a throwback that way. And guys like a veteran, Joshua, Anita Myrie mentioned Owen Simpson as well. They, they just play a real sound game. And I think that's the key to this decor's success is no one tries to play outside of their ability. Everybody knows their role, their skill set, what they need to do. And they play it so well. And that's what makes it such a cohesive unit is no one's trying to do too much. They know their role. They're sticking within that system. And it, that system produces success. And the proof's in the pudding, when, as they say, as you see what the team has done so far and what they hope to do coming up in this BCHL final. Before we get to the opponent, uh, the V's opponent, the Alberni Valley Bulldogs, just one more question about the V's roster. So I, I asked this to, to Hammer as well to get his perspective from the Bulldogs side of things. But we talked a lot about the the high end players, the the big names that everyone knows. But who is a player that plays maybe a little bit further down the lineup, a, a third or fourth liner, maybe a, a third pair defenseman that you could see having a big impact in the finals? Yeah, that's a great question. And those are those players are needed this time of year. They're such X factors. I'm glad you're asking that because one player in particular, well, I don't say one, but one guy that's jumping out right now is Billy Norcross. Uh, he's become quickly public enemy number one for the opposition playing that energy kind of pest role on a fourth line. He's such a throwback player for, you know, a 19 year old in today's game. He's got good size, you know, six two, a hair under 190 pounds. But he's a thick forward plays a real nasty game. He, actually stands in front of the net a lot now you know, on, on a power play unit or during a six on five. I know that dramatic tying goal by Bradley Nadeau in game three against Salmon Arm, which they eventually won. It would not have happened without Billy Norcross causing chaos in front of the net. In fact, assistant coach Steve Cauley calls him Captain Chaos, Billy Norcross, because <laughs> when he's around the opposition net, it's an absolute pandemonium. He's such a hard player to play against, kind of like that Corey Perry type player that we've seen on some good playoff teams the last few years, who's maybe not scoring, but playing a real hard nosed, physical agitated role. But guys like Billy Norcross, Spencer Smith, a really good 20 year old centerman who's just played so much junior hockey and has so much calm and presence about him and played such a good two way game, especially on the penalty kill Beanie Richter, that whole fourth line back to Norcross Smith and Richter have been absolutely fantastic for the V's in the playoffs, and they will have to be against the Alberta Valley Bulldogs. I think that's going to be a line 
that's going to be a big X factor is those three. They play such important minutes. They've get more and more ice times. The playoffs have progressed until where we're at right now. And those three thrive on playing a hard-nosed game. And Alberni's a big physical team. I think those three, they're looking forward to this series to be an X factor and play that style game that's made them so successful. So let's talk about the Bulldogs here for a minute. Um, the V's opponent in the finals. They've had a great run this postseason. Um, they've swept a couple of series and also won one in seven. Uh, the, B, the V's beat them twice early in the season, but they, they seem to be a much different team now. They've even added a couple of key pieces uh, since then. So uh, I know you've only seen them uh, probably in person a couple times early in the year, but from what you know uh, about the squad, what are you expecting from them in this series? I'm expecting them to be a big, uh, big time challenge for Penticton. I think it's going to be a great BCHL final. And no, no disrespect to the three previous teams that Visa faced, but this is going to be the toughest task, right? This is why it's a league final. It's going to be your toughest opponent. They're the Coastal Conference champions, and they got here through the front door. They didn't take any shortcuts. And as you mentioned, they barely have a blip on the radar when it comes to the record in the playoffs. I know I was doing some number crunching and like since the Christmas break, they've won 33 games, only second, I think to Penticton, their second half record. They were unbelievable down the stretch to get the third seed in the coastal conference. And then in the playoffs, they made a lot of noise sweeping Victoria, you know, coming back to beat the Surrey Eagles after being down a couple games and then dismantling the Chilliwack chiefs in four straight in the coastal conference final. That's super impressive. And doing it without maybe their starting goaltender, no disrespect to Campbell Arnold, but, uh, you know, Hobie Hedquist went down their presumable number one. And how about Campbell Arnold? He comes in as a veteran 20 year old and has been only the second best goaltender numbers wise to Luca de Pasquale. They, they both of them in a, the one, two combination for goaltenders in the BCHL playoffs. They either are first and second, those two in all major goaltending categories. And I talked to Evan Hammond about this, just texting back and forth. Leading up to the final, I said, who's kind of that underrated player? And he mentioned Campbell Arnold. And what a story that is, you know, coming in for an injured Hobie Hedquist. He's been fantastic. A great story. A 20-year-old, you know, finding his spotlight uh, after, you know, w- waiting patiently behind Hedquist and just being a great teammate by all accounts and being a good insurance policy. And here he is now leading the Bulldogs to the Coastal or the Fred Page Cup final for the first time in franchise history always have to give those enamel guys a plug you know got to represent <laughs> the hometown jesse but and they look deep too like when i'm watching video and watching highlights from playoffs you know they're getting tons of scoring i think it's that like six guys uh that have six or ten or more points that's a lot of depth and i know they got a couple big timers in what dakota mcintosh and brandon burr they've been both uh one a top four in league scoring as well so they're big they're physical they have a lot of skill. They have a very tough decor and they have excellent goaltending. It sounds so cliche, but those are the ingredients that get you to postseason success. It's goaltending, it's depth, and it's strong in your own zone and playing tough. And that's what the Bulldogs have been doing. And they've been a fantastic story in a great hockey market in central Vancouver Island, Hockey Valley, they like to call it there. And I look forward to seeing them come this weekend. Last question for you. Uh, the V's are obviously a, a favorite coming in as the number one seed overall in the league. And we talked about the record and the season they've had. Um, this, the team has handled the other series relatively easy so far. What do you think they need to do to keep that going in this series and, and ultimately finish the job? Yeah, if they want to repeat, I think it's consistency on home ice. We've seen this team win 41 straight games going back to last season at home. It's been a 
unbelievable streak uh, for Penticton. And uh, it's going to be what it boils down to is that home ice advantage. This is what you play for. This is why you want to finish first. And the V's do have home ice advantage in this series. The Bulldogs will have to win at least one game on the road to win this series. The V's know they have the ability to let them not get in the series by giving them a road win. And the V's have a lot of pride in this undefeated home streak that dates back to last year's playoffs. And that's going to be a big factor is taking care of business on home ice because Alberni has been such a good team at home in front of a very loud Alberni Valley multiplex as well. So, you know, they'll have to really have uh, their A game at home when they're playing the Bulldogs. And then the other cliche term, you always talk about special teams and the V's have had the number one power play throughout the regular season. And for most of the playoffs, I know them and Salmon Arm flip-flopped a little bit with the power play, but the power play has to take care of business when it gets its opportunities. The Bulldogs, they're a disciplined team, but if they take penalties, the V's have to capitalize because that could be the difference. I think five on five, this is going to be a very tight series. So if the V's number one power play can continue to click, that could be an X factor as well for them. But at home ice, it boils down to is going to be the big X factor for me in this series. Can the V's take care of business at home and give themselves a position to win this series? Because if they're going to win at home, they'll be in good shape in this series. But that's the question. Can they keep doing it at home? And can Alberni Valley try to upset them on home ice as well? It should be fantastic to watch. All right, Fraser. Well, thank you so much for your time and, and giving us your thoughts on the V's this year and the, the final series. And um, looking forward to getting to the rink and uh, running into you this weekend. Sounds great. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. All right, that does it. Another episode of the podcast in the books. A huge thanks to both of my guests, uh, Fraser Rogers, who you just heard from, and Evan Hammond, who we spoke with at the top. Um, It's an exciting time. The final series starts tonight. uh, And of course, you can uh, watch every minute of the finals on BCHL TV, and that's at bchltv.ca. We've been putting out a ton of content on uh, the BCHL website and social media um, in advance of the final series. Um, We have our Fred Page Cup final preview where we break down some of the numbers and compare some of the top players from each team. Uh, And we also have uh, a couple recent feature stories from this week. Uh, One from earlier in the week uh, on the the Doe Brothers. um, And that was written by Scott Onischak, who is our intern working for us uh, from BCIT. And we have another more recent one from Scott, uh, which was a feature on Alberni forward Brandon Buer, who is enjoying a successful playoffs uh, after returning to play uh, in Alberni to finish out his junior season after starting uh, this year in the NCAA. So be sure to check that out. Lots of great content at bchl.ca. And if you're not already, make sure you are following us on social media. We are at BC Hockey League on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the games and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.